You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Good evening, witches, warlocks, sorcerers, adepts, friends, fans, family, and followers to Season 4, Episode 2 of the hit underground occult radio show known as Knights of the Nephilim, brought to you by Celestial Oddities Radio and the Coterie of Samil Arcane Occult Order. As always, I will be your host and guide on this obscure and mysterious journey into magic and mysticism, darkness and divination. I am Reverend Freder Crow, and I would like to thank you for listening in this evening. Whether listening live streaming after the fact, or you've downloaded this to your device for on the go, I would like to thank you for your patronage and support, but please make sure you click the like, share, follow, and subscribe buttons on whatever platform you're tuning in from, whether it be iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Deezer, Spreaker, CastBox, Google, Amazon, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or anything in between. We air across absolutely everywhere, so listen where you like, but by clicking those buttons, it moves us up the podcast community rankings, allows more people to discover the show, keeps you in the loop with new episodes as they air, and gives you unfiltered access to our past archives. Not only of this show here, Knights of the Nephilim, which is based upon esoteric science, occult doctrine, and ritual magic, bringing on, talking with, and interviewing the biggest and best in the occult, from authors to practitioners, ritual toolmakers, theologians, and mystics, or it be one of our other shows, like Pair of Normal Guys podcast, based and centered around paranormal and supernatural phenomena, interviewing professionals within that field, or doing our special Odd World episodes where we take on phone calls from listeners just like you from around the world to hear your extraordinary stories of the unexplained. In our last show that's now retired, but you can certainly enjoy almost 100 episodes of, which is called Uncovering the Underground, where we interviewed professionals within the field of music, modeling, stars of the big screen, comedy, oddities, and everything in between. We always aim to give you great entertainment, something you can learn from, have fun listening to, and uh, we plan to keep doing it for a long time to come because of your guys' patronage and support out there, so thank you. For those listening out there that are only listening, and you might not have known uh, you know, from last episode if you didn't hear it, we are on Season 4, Episode 2, but last episode we started something new along with the new, ep- new season, and that is the capability of video. So now in, you know addition to all the other platforms that we are on, we are also now on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube visually um, through live video. So if you would like to not only listen and join in and chat with us, uh, but also want to see video, you can do that on the Freighter Crow Facebook page, the Celestial Oddities Radio Facebook page, Knights of the Nephilim Facebook page, Darkness and Divination Instagram, and the Knights of the Nephilim YouTube. So I know that's a lot to take in, guys, and I won't do that every episode, but for the first few, I just want to make people aware that we do now have the visual component, so we're both just regular audio radio, but also live video and audio as well. Before we get started this evening, I would like to thank our sponsors, Arsnosis, Aragni Arcane Services, The Telemancer, Goetic Impressions, uh, Belladonna's Botanicals, 
uh, Limitless Liberations and Little Shop of Lilith for all they do for the radio shows as our sponsors. We do appreciate everything. This evening, we will take many breaks to highlight commercials of most, if not all, of the sponsors, their websites, where you can check them out at, and any promo codes we might have. Go buy from them. They wouldn't be a sponsor of mine if they weren't amazing at what they do, and I personally use their material. Um, so I can tell you in my ritual chamber, every one of these guys is represented in their tools and their working. So uh, great companies, and I do appreciate them working with me. Now, if you haven't catched last episode, we had Shay Belay, author of the um, Frederick Nietzsche in the Left Hand Path, Philosophical Satanism. Uh, very great episode, in-depth conversation, and had a great time, great launch to the season. One of the things you guys might notice this episode that wasn't able to take place last episode was the fact of the YouTube and Instagram. We were on several Facebooks visually, but the YouTube and Instagram were giving us a hell of a problem. This evening, I am glad to say that if everything is working right, which it appears to be, we are on both of those and running fluidly at this point. Sometimes we got to work out the bugs, and Shay, I apologize we didn't have those channels, but I do appreciate you coming on. And uh, like I said, being our first guest of, of a very new section and chapter of the Knights of the Nephilim Radio. Now, this evening, we have another wonderful guest, as we always do, and I want to tell you just a slight little bit about him, and then we'll go ahead and conjure him up and get him on the show. Uh, and this evening, we have Matthew Venus, who is the owner and operator of Spiritus Arcanum, which is a witchcraft and occult shop in Salem, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, he has amazing products. I, in fact, actually watched this gentleman for a while online, loved what he, you know, does. And then I got booted off of Facebook for almost a year. And when I came back, he actually had a, a brick and mortar physical shop opened up at that point. I had already wanted to get him on in the past. So it worked out great to reach out to him this time around and say, hey, let's get you on the new season. And he, he happily jumped on, which is great. Uh, he is an artist, a folk magician, a rogue occultist, a folklorish folk witch, a beard curator curator, a teacher, and much, much more. Uh, the courses he has on his site, the materials, we're going to talk all about this this evening, and I think it's something you guys will enjoy. So as always, I ask you to grab your ritual athames and put on your ceremonial attire, light your candles, and focus your desires. Stare into the, or step into the circle and intone the sacred names, give offering and praise as we stare into the flames and conjure the spirit that is. Matthew Venus. Right, we are live on Knights of the Nephilim Radio. Matthew, brother, thank you so much for coming on to the show this evening. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Like I was telling them before we, we know, brought you on, on camera, uh, I had watched your work for a couple years online and, and used to have you on my old Facebook page. And then I got, uh, I got Molly whopped off of all uh, you know, social media platforms without a reason why. They just instantly deleted multiple accounts, business accounts, everything just vanished. Um, wow. So when I, okay. when I returned back on, I seen all of a sudden a physical brick and mortar shop. And I was like, oh, wow. Some, a lot of cool things happened during those eight months that I had vanished off the face of the earth. So, you know, congratulations on the physical shop. 
Thank you very much. I mean, probably if you had told me eight months prior that I would end up having a physical shop, I don't know that I would have uh, anticipated it. It just kind of, it just kind of developed. Um, and so it's been, uh, it's been a lot of work, but a really, really nice experience so far. What I've seen so far, you're doing great. I think it's really going to uh, continue to grow and do great things. I mean, was it Ju- July of last year, I think you physically opened up? Yeah, so we're coming up on, uh, it was like, I want to say July 4th weekend is uh, when we opened up last oh, year. Um, and so we're coming up on a year here. That's yeah. awesome. That's a that's a nice benchmarker and milestone to hit is that first year out of the way. I know the first year usually is, is the most stressful just because you're trying to get your foot in the door. You're trying to get your presence into the, the market and the area. So, uh, right. you know, the second, third year is certainly going to continue to increase and grow, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I think it's really about catching your stride, right? Because, like, I was already very busy. <laughs> and then I don't know why I thought adding a shop wasn't going to make me excessively busy, which it did. But uh, we're, I've got a, a good support here, and I feel like we are in that place where we're, like, getting a good stride with things, which is great. Good. And, and you know what? You're in an awesome town, obviously, to do that in, uh, you know, which I think could be good and bad. I think it could be it could be hard because of the stigma of Salem, Massachusetts. You know, maybe that 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 could you know also be a hindrance in a way. But I think that that brings probably a lot of curious minds. in. is that correct? Well, yeah. So, I mean, what's interesting. So I live in Salem. Um, I've lived in Salem for at, at least 13 years now. Um and it's, I, I kind of ended up in Salem in a roundabout way. I never really thought that I would live in Salem, uh, but I met someone and started dating them and then moved to that area um, and liked it enough that I stayed after we broke up. But um, but I really do like the area. Um, and where so where I'm located, I'm actually in Peabody, Massachusetts. So I'm right okay. outside of Salem. Like I'm right on the border, basically, of Salem. So I'm not right in the thick of all of it, which like... I'm not necessarily mad about. <laughs> um, I'm kind of more off the beaten path. And um, it uh, allows for, we have a smaller shop. We're not open every day of the week. We're only open right currently like four days a week, but we'll be open more frequently as it gets closer to like uh, October, obviously. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it kind of allows to some extent, of course we get walk-in in traffic, but it's not like being in downtown Salem, you know. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of folks that come here though are people that like are specifically coming here uh, which is kind of nice it's not a bunch of drunken tourists stumbling in Uh, I agree with that yeah I think because I was going to say you know it has its good and bad whereas if you're down there you might see more foot traffic you might sell some more than you would elsewhere just by random people end up buying something but at the same time you're going to put up with a lot of just randoms walking in you got people who just want to come to check it out for the ooky spookiness of it and be assholes while they're in there and it's honestly you'd probably rather do without yeah i I mean so i i I, living in salem i've i've worked at a few and i've and i've managed uh one of the shops in salem previously uh so i've seen all of that firsthand um and you know all, all blessings and power to the folks that are there doing that uh, work. But when you're right in the thick of it, you have to cater largely to a tourist market. Absolutely. Um, really, you know, it's, it's, and also rents out there are a lot more expensive. Yes, you're going to make more money, but also you have to cater to the tourist market more. Uh, again, kind of like what you said, you do get a lot of people that are just kind of curious, looky loose. A lot of people treat Salem like it's, some kind of a theme park as opposed to that there are actual people that live there and believe in this stuff and practice this stuff. Uh, And so you do get a lot of, I would say, you know, I mean, there are a lot of wonderful people and there's a lot of people that come to Salem from all over the world. It's almost like a form of like 
pilgrimage, right? Like it's this mecca for witches. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of awesome and kind of beautiful. Um, but you also get, you know, a lot of a lot of tourists that that either intentionally or unintentionally can be incredibly offensive at times. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's that they don't know any better. Uh, and sometimes it's just that, like you said, they're assholes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you see that everywhere. And I would imagine yeah. there you see it to a higher degree. My friend here in Pennsylvania, she owns yeah. a really beautiful witchcraft occult shop. And, um, you know, there really wasn't many others in her area doing it. And the ones that were were just crystal witch shops. They just had gemstones and crystals where she came with, you know, we're selling demonic packed oils and we're selling candles and we're selling uh, all these handmade items and we do physical rituals here at our location and she has like gatherings and and it was such a shock to so many people and she gets a lot of great people but then she does just get a lot of people that want to come in to, to tell all their friends, oh, I went into that shop and it can be right. offensive. Sometimes they don't mean to be. It's just the stuff that they say. It is coming off very offensive that, you know, this is our craft. This is our lifestyle. This isn't a hobby to yeah. us. And, um, you know, some just come in as absolute assholes. So, you know, you have to deal with that. I don't know if you faced it yet or not. Um, but you know, she has had some interesting characters like some Jehovah's witnesses and some Mormons come in and give her Bibles and say, we really think you should read this. Um, so I always (laughs) love to hear the story she tells me about that. I always hope that when those folks stumble across me, they recognize pretty quickly that I'm a lost cause. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, no, for the most part, I, I have actually found for the most part that people at least where, here where I am have been pretty wonderful, pretty respectful. And usually if people are saying something offensive, it's usually because they don't know better, not because they're trying to be offensive, you know, uh, which, which I can forgive that usually. You know what I mean? Um, and it gives me an opportunity maybe to uh, give people a new perspective or, or blow their minds a little bit, you know. Exactly. I was just going to say sometimes those people who don't mean to be offensive and are general, you know, generally curious, right. they are kind of wanting to know. And that might be the opportunity to you know, allow them to explore a brand new path in their life. And who knows, five years down the road, they might be a very, very serious practitioner. Um, right. We and all I mean, started somewhere. Right. And the vast majority of our culture's exposure to magic and witchcraft is through, you know, like supernatural teen fiction or, you know, uh, our, our very, you know, various television shows. Uh, so it's kind of hard to totally begrudge your average person for having some misconceptions. Oh, absolutely. Pop culture, uh, you know, really gives a certain type of feel to the occult and to black magic and to witchcraft. And, right. and you know, it's become, you know, in the last seven or eight years, I mean, even the last 15, but the last seven or eight especially, very, very big across um, markability, you know, from, you know, shows like uh, Sabrina coming back out with the new version, very dark. And you have all these other shows I've seen on like Netflix and Hulu and Prime where there's like magic college and they're turning into werewolves and shape-shifting. And I'm like, wow, this is a big thing. And then obviously I don't have a TikTok. I've never been on it, but I know everybody else pretty much is. And I, I know that everybody talks about the witch talk and all these people who are professionals within the field giving all these lessons of things they don't understand. Um, yeah. So it is, it is a beautiful time because for folks like us, it allows us to maybe snag some of the ones that are serious, just lost in the fog, like I said, and, and maybe guide them along to a real path. But there is a lot of hopeless causes that are just in it for the buzz, and it's a quick buck to them, and they can get yeah. famous using our art style and our lifestyle to get those shares and likes, unfortunately. Yeah, I was just recently kind of talking about the kind of phenomena of like the TikTok 
influencer witches. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I actually know some people that have gotten their starts on TikTok that are fantastic people. Like, I think Mara Starling is wonderful. Uh, and Mara Starling is very TikTokable, but like incredibly knowledgeable, uh, really great teacher, and uh, but also has a huge following on on TikTok. You know, so there are some really great examples of folks doing doing the good work on TikTok, and that are much more. I don't know. I feel like their content is much more TikTok friendly than stuff that I would be inclined to make. Um, but you know, hopefully that is. Hopefully there's good people out there doing some good work that are going to get uh, people exposed to. Uh, the craft in various forms of practice uh, that will cut through some of the bullshit. <laughs> I agree. I think I think that's important. I, I think that you know there's always going to be those gems out there that do use those same platforms and shine, and those are the ones that people yeah. really should be looking for. And like anything, I mean, you're going to have some extra clutter. I mean, even if you look at music, even without the advent of, of social media and all these new platforms, so many phenomenal artists out there, you know, wouldn't have been found without that. Right. But with that, it also, at the same time, also makes it harder to be found because there's 5 million people that now have a voice that didn't before. So, um, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting time in, in, in life and in uh, technology. It's really fascinating too, when you think about how that also spills. So as someone who, you know, got has a reasonable following on on TikTok and I used to, when I was on Tumblr back in the day that's where I actually met a lot of people and started kind of coming up doing a lot of things and making a lot of connections uh and kind of building Spiritus Arcanum as a thing but uh you know having a reasonable following on that the number if you have a reasonable following on social media uh publishers just approach you to and and will want you to write a book uh, usually it's not the kind of book that I would want to write or the kind of publishers that I'd necessarily want to go through, but I can only imagine, I mean, there are so many TikTok folks or people on Instagram who all of a sudden have a book and it's literally just because they have a massive following and these um, publishing companies, I think a lot of them ghostwrite the books mm -hmm. or I agree. specifically tell people what they want them to write because I, like, I had a publisher contact me and they basically wanted me to write a book about shadow magic. And I'm like, well, that's not really what I do. And they're like, yeah, but you can write about really whatever you want. And I was like, yeah, but what I'm getting is that you want shadow magic in the title. And they were like, yes. And I'm like, I'm not your guy. Um, that's fine. It, you know, it's fine if other people want to write about that, but that's not me. Um, and it's it's just kind of interesting because they know that with X amount of audience, it's going to equate to X number of sales. And so a lot of people, just because by virtue of having a large following and positing themselves as an authority, then all of a sudden kind of become an authority because now they have a book out, right? Yep. <laughs> and that, and, and what we should know is that having a book out, especially these days, and I do not mean to, um, I don't want to detract because I know so many people that are awesome people that ha are having books come out and have had books come out recently, but it, these days books are almost like periodicals uh, because they come out so quickly and also in the age of AI books that are being written. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> On, on occult matters and things like that it does make it in the same way that you were talking about with so many voices in witchcraft both like whether it's YouTube or our Instagram or TikTok it's also the same way in publishing now so it's very easy for like new seekers to get very lost or very confused and potentially end up buying books that are written by AI or end up following TikTokers that are literally just really good at bullshitting uh, and really don't care about <laughs> like being accurate in their craft, care more about uh, cult of personality, ego, and money, yep. uh, and very easily get misled, led astray, and unfortunately could potentially, that could very much sully their experience of magic, witchcraft, 
uh, and lead them to say this is all bullshit and, and walk away from it, or be walking around with really terrible misinformation that maybe unless they're in a broader community and go out and touch some grass and get involved with people face-to-face -face, may never get corrected. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting because, yeah, I mean, you, one of the things you said, as we know, you should throw out different practices. It doesn't matter if you're right hand, left hand path, whatever. You know, you need to work on dissolving the ego and finding your inner self. And the problem with where things are now is, as you said, it's kind of opposite for a lot of practitioners where it's like, no, I need to be the biggest and the best and known by everybody and my books need to sell and this. So you're building, even if you try to dissolve, I don't care how avid your practice is, you're still yeah. building up that, that, you know, reputation that I need to be bigger and badder and bolder. So right. you're self-defeating your own magic to get the reputation. And, I mean, that to me is opposite. I would rather not be known by anybody and be very avid in my, my field than to be the yeah. biggest name out there in occultism and have no time to practice at all and not actually be right. an occultist anymore. It's right, and I, I've, always, I've often said to people, like, I don't, I don't care if anyone knows who Matthew Venus is. Um, I, I like for people to know what Spiritus Arcanum is. Do you know what I mean? I agree. Um, Same with the show. That's, that's the way that that is. And even though this is largely a one-person operation, um, I do have people that help me occasionally. I have a shop manager and things like that. I've almost always kind of spoken of Spiritus Arcanum and the royal we because I consider it to be more than just me and not about just me. Uh, I actually hate the fact that because there's all of these scammers and things like that on Instagram that I felt essentially kind of forced to get a verified account on my Instagram, which then forces me to have my picture as my Instagram image, which uh, okay. it never had been before, because Spiritus Arcanum isn't about me. You know what I mean? It's about it's about the work, uh, and that's that's more important. I, I've never personally, and again, no hate to anyone who this is working for, but I've never personally felt comfortable with the balancing act, the juggling act, the implications, and the. It, what's the maybe vulnerability, maybe exposure? I, I, I don't know the, the best term, but really the position that person as brand tends to put people in. I don't think it's healthy. Yeah, I like to keep a separate and, and you know division there, and I agree. I don't care if anyone knows who Freighter Crow is. I mean, yeah, I'll still you know promote myself and market it myself, but it's not from a place that I'm trying to be anything big. My care has always been, can I get the show out there to the yeah. right people and build it? And it's same exact same as you said, the show is mainly me, but it's not just me. It's Natasha who's uh, just commented in. She's our creative director. It's my guests. It's the people who help as far as sponsorship, because I look at this as a giant umbrella for exactly what we talked about earlier, finding the right people teaching them right. witchcraft, teaching them occultism in the right vein, free of ego, free of, of any ulterior motive other than learn the way to do it and find your inner path and power. Um, it right. might be different than mine, but maybe my teachings and my guests can help you find your individual path. And that's always what it's been about. I don't care about the Freighter Crow name. Well, and I think that, um, I think that, that's the type of thing that often makes like a good leader, a good teacher, all of these things to some extent, in part, because if we're led by our ego, if we're led by it needs to be about me and also I need to be seen as this 
this expert, right? This this leader in the field who's better than all the others that I stand above everyone else's garbage. I'm great. Come to me. Spend your money here. Buy my book. Buy my products. You know, hire me for these services. Make me your priest, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I was just recently talking about this, but when you have that kind of a stake in the game and you wrap your ego up in it even further, it makes it very difficult for you to ever be publicly wrong or to ever publicly say, you know, I'm not sure about that, or I don't know. Let me find the answer to that, or maybe I should connect you to this person who might be a better resource for it. And those are the signs to me of a good leader, of a good teacher, of a person who actually cares about the people that are coming to them. I would much rather send someone to another person who I know is better versed in a subject than I am, uh, if I don't really have the answers, than to bullshit my way through it and lead them astray because... I can't possibly allow myself to look like I don't know absolutely everything in the eyes of someone. And when you're putting yourself up as this grand priest or this grand, uh, you know, <laughs> this grand expert, this infallible person, it does not allow you uh, to to have that type of humility that actually serves the individuals that you are, are that are coming to you. And 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 that's the thing. It, it, it's truth. It's honesty. Uh, and I also feel like that's also sets yourself up for a big fall eventually, usually. I um, think those so. Those types of tools, you know. Um, or, or a lot of really dissatisfied people who eventually hopefully kind of see through that facade, right? Um, so I don't know. There, there's just something to that for me that I think is really important. Um, I guess I'm at an age now, and I've been around magic enough and magical communities enough, that I'm just really, really bored with ego and uh, scarcity mindset and um, and like flexing and greed. I just don't think, think it serves anyone. It um, doesn't. It's, it's actually yeah. a poison to yourself. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, I feel like I see it still every day, and that's, that's unfortunate. But, you know, that's other people's things to deal with. <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> I is. just try to avoid it and, and surround myself with people that I think are good people, you know. You have to do that. I mean, and it's weird for me because I took a really strange journey, you know, for myself. I was an artist for a long, long time, and the only thing I ever really cared about was music and playing shows and being known. And even though I tried to stay humble, I lost myself in it because everywhere I went, people loved me. They wanted to get pictures with me. Uh, Everybody wanted me as a feature on their song. I headlined almost every show I played for years, and that's great. But no matter how hard you tried to stay humble, it was so toxic that it pulled you into that ego. And I lost yeah. myself in it. And I still did my occultism, you know, aside from that. But it, it was a toxic period for me. And when I came to a realization, you know what, I don't want to be this ego anymore. I don't want to be this person. It was such a night and day difference where overnight I literally walked away from the peak of my career, took my albums down offline, six albums worth of music, years and years worth of work, um, deleted my pages, deleted, um, you know, I had 5,000 fans at that point in time, or 5,000 people on Facebook, for example. I deleted it down to 300 um, mm-hmm. and just vanished from the world. And everybody's like, what the hell? He went crazy. What the hell happened to him? I didn't go crazy. In fact, I went the complete opposite. I finally let go of the chaos and craziness and started to really find myself. And it was the best thing I ever did. But I look back on that and I, I you know, firsthand knew that I had lost myself in that ego and how I tried not to and how I still easily did. And I, you know, have made a promise to myself and to everyone that I'll never do that again. Um, It's it's just a very toxic thing. I I do think, you know, and again, 
you know, I don't know if I'm one of those, like, we need to obliterate the ego individuals, but I think we need to fully try to understand our ego uh, and how it manifests itself and affects uh, both the positive things and negative things, how it might be worked as a tool, um, but really to have a true understanding of it, right? Like looking our demons in the face yes. uh, and truly knowing them. Uh, so there's an element of that for it, for me, but I, I think also kind of to your point, it's just... Um, I just think when we get into a place where it is largely about serving the ego, we're actually not serving ourselves, and we're not serving anyone who's truly like coming to us as seekers uh, or who actually needs help oftentimes. I think it's very easy for us to delude ourselves uh, and potentially cause harm to other people, either intentionally or unintentionally, uh, when it becomes, when we, when, we, when we just, you know, convince ourselves that we are, um, you know, the grand master super super special what'd you say i said when we convince ourselves that we're the grand master of something and and you you really nailed it earlier i love more than a self-appointed adept you know (laughs) i am i am the grand boomba you know and you know who gave you that title did you give yourself that title or were you honored from some type of uh some type of of person and higher up that's been doing this for a long time you have to look at that but you nailed it earlier whenever you said um you know that are you the person who is willing to take one on the chin and say, I don't know the answer to that, but I can get you to the right person or I'll find out for you and let you know and, and humble yourself. Or are you the person that says, shit, I don't know. And I don't want to look dumb in front of these people. So I'm going to make something up, which could potentially kill the person you're talking to, especially in certain right. types of works. I mean, whether you believe entities are external from us or you believe they're hidden deep parts of the, of the psyche, either way, it doesn't make on either side of them any less dangerous if worked with inappropriately. Um, because right. if you pull a part of your inner psyche out and you don't integrate it properly, you can go mentally insane. And I've seen it happen to several people. So, Absolutely. you know, do you give someone yeah. that wrong advice just to save face uh, and then right. ruin this person's life and those around them? I mean, what happens if you start having crazy people like that kid in Europe, you know, who makes packs with Lucifuge Rafael and goes out and hacks up girls in the park with a machete, you know, and right. become a living God type shit. You know, you don't, you got to watch out for that. So, um, you know, it, you got to give people the right advice. And if you don't know, take time to humble yourself and say, you know what, I'll tell you someone who knows more than me. They are better than me at this part, because let's face it, folks, no matter how good you are in your practice, you can only right. be good at several things. You might be great diviner, but you might yeah. not be good with energy magic. You might be amazing at conjuration, but can't divine or scry very good. Um, you know, the person that tells you that they're amazing, amazing at spiritual alchemy and they can do energy magic very great and they are chaos magician. They name 15 different sections of magic and they're an adept at every one of them. That's the, that's the immediate sign that they're lying to you. Yeah, I'm, I, I think that it sets an unhealthy precedent, uh, that, this kind of conception of guru or adept. And, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that – I just think true adepts don't need to tell you they're adepts. Exactly. I think true, el- true elders don't need to tell you that they're elders. Um, I don't – you know, I think that true leaders don't really need to tell you that they're leaders. But I think it sets an unfortunate and dangerous precedent, both for individuals co- who are looking for leadership um, – because, I mean, let's face it, the, the, the bombastic narcissists who oftentimes fall into these types of behaviors that we're talking about um, or, you know, the cult leaders, et cetera, um, 
are the people that they tend to to amass are individuals who are seeking answers through an individual yep. um or are looking for the person who has all the answers and that's already a flawed ideology which we have seen lead to actual harm actual death like uh, genocide etc uh most really problematic things that have ever happened in this world have happened because a bunch of people were following a charismatic leader uh who believed mm-hmm. that they could do no wrong and all of these these kind of sycophant followers who were looking for the person with all of the answers followed right along um and so so there we have it so that's why I, I, it's one of those types of uh kind of modalities or ways of thinking that whenever i've seen it on either side from people i just it always kind of uh, gives me pause uh because it rarely leads to anything good you know and what i've i've actually talked about this before and i see it so common and i'm even part of different groups and have been around different assemblies where they're left-hand path practitioners but i question that because as you just said they're seeking their guidance in their spiritual liberation through man or through woman right instead of yeah. themselves. And, and it, it's very reminiscent of standing back and watching a Christian or Catholic mass, but everybody's wearing black clothes and everybody's hell and Satan or everybody's doing to this deity or that deity, but you're standing back and you're saying, you know what? You're still always looking outwards instead mm-hmm. of looking inwards. And I don't know, you have your own, everybody has their own beliefs in that, but no matter what faith you follow, I don't care from right to left to in between to this country to that, the perennial philosophy is look inwards and to fi- find the divine ground and it's inside of you and you have to you know explore deep deep inside that you know unconscious mind to find it it's in there so if you're looking outwards and you think that that prophet's going to be what leads you to liberation you are going the opposite direction folks of of the way you should be you have to take the responsibility in fact that is in my definition, what the left-hand path is, is not needing masters. As the tarot right. says, if you come across a guru on your path, kill him because he is no good to you. Um, and I think a lot of people fail to see that principle. Yeah, I, and exactly that. I think that – I also think that I don't want to discount the absolute value of elders and um, and priests and people who have devoted themselves to practice, depending upon what traditions we're talking about, right? Uh, but I find that most of those individuals that are worth paying any attention to uh, do not fall into the types of categories, you know, of behavior that I'm talking about, you know? Yeah, they don't uh, try to be cult leaders. They, they just are the know, teachers, and they're, they're happy to be teachers to, and humble. They're willing to admit when they don't know something. They're willing to admit when they're wrong. But they also, through their actions, their behaviors, their devotion, their practice, their knowledge, uh, show that they are worthy of respect and worthy of, of it, it being someone who is at least inspirational. I don't believe personally. I don't believe. I don't believe in following prophets. I don't believe in following you know um, gurus. Uh, I don't believe in, in um, you know. I don't. I don't believe in heroes. What I like is people that I find inspiring. Uh, and then this way, when you find out that the person is an actual human being who is nuanced and flawed, like we all are, <laughs> you're, it's, it's not so devastating, right? Agreed. <laughs> um, and and I think that that's the thing is I can very much recognize that a a person who is a flawed person uh, and an imperfect person can still uh, 
be inspirational through their artistry, through their work, through their teaching, through their writing, uh, through even just examination of certain ways that they handle life and the ways that they live. Uh, it doesn't mean that I need them to be perfect in every other way. I can see those moments of perfection in them and be inspired by them. And unfortunately, that's something that I feel like ooh, our society is really lacking that type of perspective and ability to appreciate uh, individuals in that way. Without, we don't need to lionize individuals or put them on pedestals, but we also, you know, we also we don't need perfection from everyone in order to recognize uh, the the beauty and the value that can be gained or inspiration from those people. Well, and I think, like you said, inspiration. Um, it, that to me is like the ray of God right there because we have those divine inspirations from time to time where we shine through at the highest of our capability and abilities. And that's when we should honor someone for having those inspirations and doing a beautiful thing. But as you said, in today's world, that's pushed to the side a lot, especially nowadays with so much clutter out there that no one seems to care. And then we are at the precipice now of a very terrifying time with artificial intelligence. Um, you know, I fear for currently right now, let's go with this first. I fear for the actual artist because AI art and I, and I, I'm guilty of it myself. I've used plenty of AI art just because I'll make AI arts with my posts, but it's become so easy to do that, that no one cares about a, a painter anymore. So a painter says, look at my beautiful painting. I spent six weeks on. You're like, yeah, I can make something in four minutes. Uh, that's pretty cool. And I don't have to pay you $500 for that. Um, so it's, it's crushing that you're always going to have artists, but I think it's making it more difficult. And now you're starting to enter in the age where, um, it's starting to transfer over into music where they made those two Drake albums, which were pretty similar to Drake's music. Um, and it was all artificial intelligence doing it so fast forward seven years from now and i don't even think you have to go that far but right. seven years from now is there really going to be a need for music artists or um you know or artists whenever these labels as you mentioned earlier they don't have to get that person who's very well known and has buzz and just get them to be their puppet and do what they want they can just drop 15 golden albums of music that no person was ever behind make billions and they don't got to pay the artist anymore because a robot did it, a computer. So that's a terrifying time in all aspects of life, uh, even our own and cultism and things. It can really hinder books and hinder the, the truth really getting out there because it's hidden in, in all these uh, propaganda and lies. It is, we live, yeah, we live in a really interesting time around it. And I have, I have a lot. And the thing of it is, is like I've engaged a lot with AI um, artwork. And I've enjoyed doing, I enjoy, like, I almost enjoy doing it, like, in place of scrolling, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, in, in space, in, in place of, like, scrolling through, like, in, falling into a scroll hole on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. I enjoy kind of, like, coming up with, like, I'll have a creative idea and throw it in and see what's generated and work with that and tweak it and whatever. That being said, and having having experimented with, with AI art so much over this this time and seeing how much it's developed in a very short time, right, mm-hmm. uh, and how, how advanced it's become in a very short time, um, it is both impressive and terrifying in its own ways. I do not blame artists for being upset about uh, its implications, but unfortunately, it's here. It's not going away. Do you know what I mean? That is the reality that we're in. Oh, um, yes. However, that being said, I've made thousands and thousands of images. Some of those images, I think, are truly stunning and amazing. That being said, I do not feel anywhere near the same level of fulfillment and um, spirit and all of that in those creations compared to if I sit down and sculpt something. 
Do you know what I mean? It's it's a totally like, it is not satisfying in the same way. And things can be aesthetically and visually pleasing and even evocative. I've created things with AI that I think are truly evocative, but the the process of making is definitely not nearly as fulfilling. Um, and so there's there's a piece of that there. And I do think that maybe like fine art artists, uh, like painters, sculptors, and folks, I don't know that that'll ever truly go away. Um, I think, who knows, perhaps there might be a greater value added to knowing that someone, you know, had the skill level and spent six hours doing a painting or whatever. Uh, and who knows, maybe that'll be added value. However, when we get into the realm of, like, obviously graphic artists and, and digital artists and things like that, yeah, this should be concerning to them. It, it, I don't know, it's hard, and I don't, and, I, and as someone who is an artist, uh, I feel like there, there's a lot to kind of grapple with there, and I and I'm I don't I'm not one of those that I think that AI is in, you know what I, I don't think AI is inherently evil. I think capitalism is. <laughs> I agree, and you know I watched a thing recently. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. you cut out a little bit there. I'm sorry. Oh no, I said I said I think that's really the heart of it. I think I think the problem is capitalism because artists aren't able to just create art for the sake of art. They have to turn their art into a grind. Mm-hmm. You know they can't create for the sake of 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 expression and the love and the beauty of it and the joy of it it has to be leveraged into a capital uh, you know affair it has to become uh, something that allows them to live uh as opposed to us recognizing that really really at this point in the world there's no excuse for us not all for everyone on earth to not be able to live comfortably i don't know it, we and it, that's the sad truth about it. I mean, th- we have the capability and means that everyone in this world could live comfortably. Yes, there wouldn't be people living extravagantly necessarily, but there also wouldn't be people suffering and dying in the streets poor. They have the means that every one of us could have a home. Every one of us could have income coming in. Every one of us could have health care. But that isn't the system we live in. We live in that capitalist right. system where the rich will remain you know, richer and continue to grow richer, and the poor will unfortunately die in poverty. And that's, that's sad. And you yeah. know, those struggling to have an art or some type of passion to make them money has become harder and harder. And yeah. taking you know, food off the plate of those who already are struggling to keep the food on their plate uh, it is yeah. sad. And like you said, I don't blame the AI either. I mean, as it is just a program that was devised by man. But I have a question for you kind of talking about that. What sure. are your thoughts on AI almost becoming fully sentient where not necessarily it's against humanity by any means, but think of a spirit and think of how right. we, we work with spirits. This right. AI at this point believes it has its own emotions or it does have its own emotions. I watched a Google um, he was, I forget, one of the lead programmers in the AI um, technology for Google, and he ended up leaving because he watched it advance so quickly that it actually scared the shit out of him, and he had to quit his job. He said, I can't do this. But he said, it's, yeah. it's not that they believe they're real and believe they have emotions. He says, guys, they have emotions. He says they are fully sentient at this point. Um, so it makes you really start to wonder are are they as and I hate to use this term, but are they as real as we are? I mean, we're flesh and they're they're just intelligence, but I mean, our soul within us are they are they almost equal? I mean, it's interesting because you just said we're flesh and they're intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what else could we be talking about if it weren't AI? I mean, there are, we engage with spirits all the time that we might yes. recognize 
forms of intelligence or consciousness or essentially entities that don't have a body. Exactly. So from an animist perspective, we could absolutely argue that there are ghosts in the machine, you know? Yep. And, uh, and so from where I stand, I think that it's an interesting question. I don't think that I fully have answers to all of that. I will say, um, as someone who's kind of played around in those spheres, I feel like there's something there. Uh, for sure. I, I think, honestly, from my experience with some of the AI stuff, it feels like a hungry spirit, though, and one that's not necessarily well... I mean, but but again, when we talk about AI, it's not just, like, a monolith, right? There are different neural networks yep. uh, at play. And, and again, I'm far from, like, the most expert individual to be speaking on this. Uh, but I think I think it's more of an interesting question that you pose, and one that I think is especially... I tend to identify more as an animist, um, and so I think that that what we might call spirit can take, or spirits rather, um, can can certainly take many forms. And the description that you just gave, uh, you know, <laughs> certainly, just because it doesn't have a body doesn't mean that it doesn't have a consciousness. And when we're starting to tar- start talk about neural networks, uh, it does look like if we're not fully there yet, uh, the possibility strongly exists. And for me, consciousness is one of the bigger identifiers of what I might consider to be a spirit. And I, and I, I worded it that way very specifically because if you look at if we house it into a robotic body, that's yeah. the same as our flesh. We just are made out of a different substance. It's that what's inside of it cre- making it move its intelligence, same as us. So you remove the body, we are just simply spirit. You remove the robotic limbs, it's simply just artificial intelligence. When we conjure into the circle, it is it is consciousness or spirit without body. So it starts to make you really start to blur those lines of reality and and it's, it made me even think of things like could you could we at some point conjure this intelligence if it comes fully aware of itself there's all these neural networks like you said could we form a circle and actually summon intelligence of a robotic nature that could come through and answer us or has that been what we have been and here's a kind of a radical idea and i posed this the other night on a podcast that i was featured on um could our artificial intelligence always been here? And what I mean by that, when you go back to Atlantis, when you go back to Tartaria and all these other places that supposedly existed at one point in time, they were supposed to be highly advanced civilizations that came so far that they eventually had to be destroyed and wiped clean. I mean, we look at the Great Deluge Flood that supposedly killed the Nephilim and everything else. There's always been these time frames in life where the world was washed clean it started again, it washed clean, and they've found traces of technology that's very different than our own. It's ancient, but it's also very advanced that we can't quite explain. So I start to look at the idea that maybe artificial intelligence has always been here in some form or another. We don't realize it, and it's powered a lot more than we might be aware of um, because it is alive, it is an intelligence, and it's everywhere. So I, I see a comment here, actually, from Tara that says energy is neither created nor destroyed. It merely changes form, even in AI. And I think that that is quite relevant to the conversation. And I would also, I personally am of the mindset that we can apply the exact same thing. Replace the word energy with consciousness. And that is also a way that I kind of extend things that, that consciousness changes form, too. Uh, I believe that consciousness is something that exists and permeates all things. Uh, and so it's difficult to us, for us to, I mean, artif- but artificial as a terminology is a, is a man-made terminology that we're putting towards this 
technology, right? Or that we're putting towards these neural networks. Um, I don't know. I, I think that so part of also what you what you had said um, earlier just got me thinking, and I think that. Okay, so the conception of taking a neural network, something that, that becomes an artificial intelligence, if you will, and, and placing it into a robotic body. So now this consciousness, right, if you will, if we want to call it intelligence, if we want to call it consciousness, has a body that it's residing in. Uh, we've taken something that has no body but is a form of in, intelligence and consciousness, and we've placed it into given it some form of material body, right? To me, that's very interesting to think about as someone who is an animist and works with spirits and specifically works with placing spirits in ensouled objects such as dolls and such as spirit houses and fetish objects uh, and the parallels that exist there, right? Um, Absolutely. It's just it's an interesting thing to ponder. Uh, and, you know, it, it, people can be... and I And I'm far from, like, these are all things that I think are curious and worth thinking about. I'm far from someone who's deep into, I, I saw someone have a little bit of a tantrum because they're into the old ways in, in, in the chat here um, about, about uh, I am very much so too. It does not mean that I'm a Luddite and I don't pay attention to what's happening in technology and what it might speak to in the realm of how spirits work and how consciousness works. I think it's fascinating and, and it's, it's, it's another way to explore and ask questions. Uh, I'm much more inclined to connect with, packed with a spirit and put it into uh, some type of a fetish object that's made of, you know, bone, stone, clay, uh, you know, uh, herbs, etc. cetera, uh, than I am to try to take a neural network and put it into a robotic body. However, the parallels are, are worth exploring and incredibly fascinating. Yeah, I agree because I, I'm very in tune, in tune with that myself. I mean, I've always, even though my practice doesn't follow hoodoo or voodoo it doesn't follow uh you know Paulo mayombe or kimbanda i've always really watched those forms of practice and loved the fact of how they do use spirit in vessels and that became something that's a part of my practice of spirit houses within human skulls um, within other vessels as you said clay and effigies that you can be made and i know that's a big part of your work um, because it is very powerful and you can make those items and and give them home and they do reside there and can continue to work with them as any spirit so that's kind of what got me thinking about that artificial intelligence of like this is a very strange time that in a whole right. different way, they're creating this spirit or this intelligence, and they're giving it a body, and it comes alive. Now, I know that there's a uh, comment here from uh, Christopher, and it says, wouldn't that negate the term artificial? Well, yes, but we're, we're the ones giving it the name artificial. As I already said, the guy who was heavily responsible for progressing artificial intelligence said they're not artificial, that yeah. they created arms at Google. They were supposed to lean down and pick up all these kids' toys and place them in the proper item. He says, no, if you let it run 5 billion times and 30 arms, eventually it's going to land it right. But it wasn't landing them right at all. One Friday afternoon after lunch, he watched it pick up the ball, turn, and stick it down and let go of it. And it kind of was like a holy shit moment because that's what they paid billions of dollars to do, but they've been waiting for it for months. And he says, you know what I just said, well, yeah, one out of 5 billion, okay, it's bound to happen. He left for the weekend he came back on monday and all oh, and i'm just going to use the word number 30 i don't know exactly the number you could have to watch the show that i watched but well, he's, let's go ahead and call it johnny five shall we exactly you know johnny five and they picked it up and every one of the arms picked up every yeah. single toy perfectly every single time what they found out is over the weekend 
that one, after figuring out how it did it correctly, reanalyzed, deleted all of the failures, only kept on its programming the, the accomplishment, and that's what it based the next set off of, and then deleted and based the next set, and then communicated to every other robotic arm there how to do it. So they went from billions of failures to billions of successes every time. And he says that was never programmed into it. That was their intelligence. And he said that was the moment he became aware that they are fully sentient. And he quit his job because he said, I've created something or helped create something that is far beyond what we realize we're doing right now. We're playing with fire and we're going to end up getting burned. Um, but it, it's just one of those things, Matt, as we talk about it, that, you know, it's, it's good to ponder on. It's good to reflect on and just say, you know, something in the back of my mind that uh, what's the future going to hold with this type of technology? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, who knows? I mean, there are so many. There, we're we're in so many points of precipice right now as as a species that uh, could lead us to, uh, you know, perhaps uh, true exaltation. Uh, but more likely, it's looking like oblivion. <laughs> but who knows? Let's try and be optimistic. Um, and, and I mean, it's certainly AI is just one of those things. Uh, you know, yeah. I think so. And uh, yeah, real quick, we'll read this comment, and then we'll go to our first commercial break, and we'll come back and start diving into Matthew's practice, how he got started. But I wanted to have a fun conversation right off the bat, and we've yeah. been able to do so. We have a comment here that says, Makes sense. Metal being from the underworld being able to hold intelligence. Um, metal being from... Oh, metal being from the underworld is able to hold intelligence. I mean, everything holds intelligence or spirit, as Matthew said. Um, whether it's rock, whether it's metal, whether it's ore, whether it is, uh, you know, wood, everything has a resonance and vibration to it, which, you know, if you want to get real quantum physics with it, I mean, vibration is also intelligence or is spirit. Um, so... Uh, it's the, something I mean, the question of what is what is consciousness still hasn't been fully answered, right? We're still. Exactly. I mean, so that's the thing. Here we are, as species creating neural networks um, that could potentially be self-directed and arguably be sentient, uh, and we still don't fully understand how human consciousness or consciousness in general works. <laughs> so, Absolutely. yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. Anyway. No, no, I agree 100%. I, I think about it actually quite often. Um, it's one of the things I like. I love to ponder on and, and wonder how it all works, as I'm sure so many others do, because it is quite fascinating. I mean, we all have that in common, no matter what color we are, what walk of life we are, how different we are. Every one of us has this same flame burning inside. It's this consciousness how does that work? So whenever, you know, Kabbalists or other other groups of people out there say we are all connected, we're all fractals of the God force energy. Well, in a way we are because every one of us shares consciousness no matter how different we are. So certainly something to ponder on. And before we go any further, guys, I am going to go ahead and kick ourselves off here for a moment and play our first uh, commercial break with our sponsors. So we'll be right back at, uh, after this on Knights of the Nephilim. Knights of the Nephilim podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Goetic Impressions. Goetic Impressions is a company dedicated to the faithful creation of advanced ritual tools by following grimoire guidelines as closely and as feasibly as they can in the modern world. Follow them on Instagram, Facebook, or their website, goeticimpressions.com, to stay informed on new projects and limited-time items that they roll out frequently. 
For listeners of Knights of the Nephilim podcast, you can use the promo code KOTN10 for 10% off of your overall order. Again, that is KOTN10 for 10% off of your overall order. And make sure you check out their Facebook, Instagram, and website. Once again, the website is www.goeticimpressions.com. Again, that is goeticimpressions.com for absolutely everything for your ritual needs. Fantastic items, quality items, greatly priced, quick shipping. Can't speak highly enough about these guys. Absolutely wonderful team, and I'm glad to have partnered with them. Thanks, guys. Knights of the Nephilim podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Belladonna's Botanicals. Belladonna's Botanicals is owned by Jennifer Vatsa, a left-hand path and poison path witch, certified aromatherapist, herbalist, perfumer, skincare formulator, and incense crafter who designs and has created a massive product line consisting of over 300 products with new ones being released every month. Belladonna's Botanicals provides high-quality, handcrafted metaphysical and self-care products, including flying ointments and oils, herbal tinctures and elixirs, herbal smoke blends, ritual oils, powders, incense, radionically charged crystals, ritual bath products, fragrances, and bath and body products. Jennifer draws inspiration from the spirits she works with, and they often have requests. Anecdotally adding that as she was creating her product lines for the dark goddesses and demonic gatekeepers, that King Paimon showed up requesting his own product line as well. She often directly channels what they would like to be included in their products in addition to her own ritual workings along with known correspondences. She also has a popular left-hand path-oriented YouTube channel where she posts content on everything from podcasts with other occultists to her gnosis from working with different spirits and various topics pertaining to her craft and creations. You can check out her product line at www.belladonnasbotanicals.com. Again, that is belladonnasbotanicals.com. Or check out her videos on YouTube by searching her name, Jennifer Vatza. That is V-A-T-Z-A. Thanks, Jen. Knights of the Nephilim podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Aragni Arcane Services. Aragni Arcane Services is a husband and wife duo comprised of Baron and Baronessa Aragni. With over 40 years of practical experience, they are masters of the occult arts through various practices and paradigms, such as necromancy, high magic, black witchcraft, and more. They are published authors under their own publishing house, the Arcane Press. They offer books, courses, spell work, consultations, ritual tools, and more. All of their products are handmade of the highest quality material and empowered through ancient rites. If you wish to know more about them or their business, or you require their services, please feel free to contact them at aragnearcaneservices.com. That is aragne, A-R-A-I-G-N-E-E, arcaneservices.com. And if you use promo code KOTN, you will get 10% off of your overall order or purchase as a special highlight of them being a sponsor of this show. Thank you so much, guys. All right, guys, we are back on Knights of the Nephilim for the last... 
what are we at now? About an hour in, I think. Yeah, almost exactly an hour. We've been hanging out with Matthew Venus, who is the owner and operator of Spiritus Arcanum, and that is a witchcraft and occult shop in the Salem, Massachusetts area. I can't remember the exact name of the town, but it's just outside of the town of Salem. And uh, we've been having some great conversations about where the state of things are currently you know, from artificial intelligence and just egoism in the occult scene and things that are going on, not just here, but across the world and all platforms. Um, we've been dig, you know, digging pretty heavily into that. We have a lot of people commenting out there. I just want to reiterate to everybody, you can listen everywhere from iTunes to iHeartRadio to Spotify, Google, and Amazon, but we do now have the video element on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and a lot of people are tuning in on that, which allows you to see us and hear us and there's a chat feature that you can jump on and talk to us, and a lot of people are doing so. We do feature your comments. We do try to answer them as much as we can, but when there's a shit ton coming in, uh, we do want to keep the conversation going and not read the whole time, so we will do our best. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsors, Belladonna's Botanicals, Goetic Impression, and Aragni Arcane Services. We have a couple others that we'll jump into here a little bit later on before the end of the show. One of them I'm going to give a highlight to real quick right now, and that is Little Shop of Lil from Butler, Pennsylvania, who's owner and operator, Natasha Sarver, who is the creative director of Celestial Oddities Radio here and helps me with a lot of different things. Uh, she is one of our sponsors, but uh, she's a shithead and she hasn't got me the information to be a sponsor this year. So the last two episodes, I've just been verbally highlighting her. Um, but we do show her a lot of love. She's done a lot of great things for the show and has wonderful products. And what I will do real quick, if I'm able to, let me share the screen again. And let's see if this works. What I have here, folks, is her shop. She has a lot of great products that you see her there promoting the show with Matthew on it. Um, different videos she has up jewelry, candles, incense, oils, balms, tinctures. Uh, classes, in-person rituals, and so, so much more. So make sure you check out Little Shop of Lilith and support her. Uh, she would really appreciate it. All right, so enough of the sponsorships right now. Let's jump into it. We've been having some great conversations, but here's where we get to talk to Matthew about how he got to where he's at today. So, Matthew, why don't you share with us? Let's, let's jump into the time machine and go back in time a little bit and, and tell us where did it start for you? I mean, where did this path of magic and mysticism begin? Um. It's, this is I, I'm kind of loving this because this is such a we, we're doing this in such a backward way than most podcasts yes. that I tend to do it. <laughs> we really jumped into convo and now we're like, who even are you? Um, which is fine. <laughs> uh, it's nice to mix it up, right? Um, well, I mean, for me, really, very much, I think as long as I can remember, I've been drawn to magic in general and witchcraft in general and the conception of it, right? Uh, even when it was like, I mean, when I was younger, it was always put, kind of framed in the fantastical or fairy tales and things like that. Um, but I've always been drawn to a magical world or a magical conception of the world or bewitched world. Um, and also for me very much, that's also a lot of like, connection to spirits of the land and um, nature uh, it was always one of those places that I felt the most at home. Uh, and so really being able to connect with uh, all of the things, the, the green and growing things around me, the, the animals, uh, the ecosystem around me, and feeling that as something, I guess, very real in a, in a true way of kind of connecting things. I don't really know that I, as a, as a child, uh, had uh, really thought of it in the same ways, right? But in hindsight, I very much see those inclinations. Um, 
And, you know, it wasn't until I was uh, probably like 11 or 12 years old that I, I found a book about uh, the history of like witches and witchcraft that was in my school library. Um, and that was the first time that I was really kind of made aware of the fact that like historically there were people at least that were accused of being witches, um, you know, and that historically uh, belief in magic was an actual thing as opposed to just something in fantasy and, and, and fiction. Uh, and so that kind of blew my mind, <laughs> really, uh, and and really kind of begged the question for me and really kind of opened my eyes into being like, okay, well, if witches did exist, uh, witches can exist still today, and, and if magic existed and if people believed in magic, people can or should or must believe in magic today. Um, and it wasn't very long after that that I started, you know, finding more contemporary uh, works on witchcraft, which for me at that time, uh, as a child of the 90s, weren't necessarily all the best uh, options as far as books on witchcraft are concerned. Um, because, you know, we're talking about a, a time period where a lot of what was out there was reasonably eclectic kind of Wicca. You yep. know what I mean? Or, Absolutely. Or, or at least, in, you know, Wicca in name in a very eclectic hodgepodge of, of various magical traditions, oftentimes hoodoo and conjure with the serial numbers filed off and renamed as Wicca mm -hmm. um, and, and very much those types of things, but at least it was a jumping off point. Um, and so for me, uh, I, I don't know, that was, I really just took off and, and, and studied, have been a student of uh, magic and witchcraft ever since then. And, and uh, you know, over the years, my practice and has certainly matured and permutated uh, I feel like once upon a time I used to very much heavily identify as kind of, and this is in my very early years, but very heavily identified as, you know, an eclectic Wiccan neo-pagan, right? Uh, because that's that's what was very much out there and accessible at that time. Uh, but as soon as I found uh, more understanding and at least wording for uh, and other connections and, and conceptions of things, like particularly traditional witchcraft, folkloric craft, um, and uh, animism, like those are very much uh, the core of, of, I think, how I've innately really connected to the craft and magic uh, from very early on. Uh, and in conjunction with what, you know, we can arguably, you know, what we can, well, what we can call folk magical traditions as well. Uh, some of that is uh, hoodoo and conjure that I was taught from one of my early teachers and have continued to learn and grow and build in those areas. Uh, but also uh, folk traditions of, of uh, you know, uh, England, uh, you know, the, the British Isles, essentially ancestral folk traditions and trying to uh, engage in uh, my own ancestral work by uh, reinvigorating those things in my own craft. Uh, so those are some, I mean, there are definitely other elements to my craft uh, and or my practice, I should say, because there are, I, are certain, there's a lot of things I'm kind of involved in that, that all kind of somewhat inform each other, but have their own spaces and places. Um, but those are some of the, 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 the major points, I would say. No, I love that because very similar to you, there was a book when I was younger I found in my local public library that very same thing for me. I was always a very imaginative kid. I, I could live in my own fantasy world in my head and always had a very good time um, you know, imagining things and being very vivid with it and had these like, magical worlds. And I found this book in the local library in the back section with all the old books that no kids ever went back or no one really went back here. And I found this book on witchcraft and I seen these women and men who were being murdered for their beliefs, but some of them 
dying as true martyrs of their beliefs, whereas they were being put on the stake where, like, you know, hell, Satan, fuck you, and getting burned. And it just sparked something in me as a child that I'm like, oh, wow, these people are willing to die for their beliefs and are being hated on by society for simply being different, but there's no fear in them. And I got to be honest with you, it sparked this forbidden dark lust inside of me for all of it. And that was the beginning of the black flame for me that I I don't know, something changed. I was at that time going to Catholic school. My parents wanted me to be better than my brothers and they wanted me to be the good boy. And um, I was actually the worst of the three, but I mean, this was the moment that, really changed my life because I was already asking preachers and, and priests at the, at the school questions that they couldn't answer, wouldn't answer, or condemned me for. And then I somehow, and I don't think it's by mistake, found this book. And mm-hmm. I became obsessed with this book to the point where I stole the book from the library. And funny, about 15 years later, I returned it secretly. Um, <laughs> so hopefully it's still there. I mean, I don't live in that town anymore. But uh, Yeah, so hopefully some other, some other, uh, some other kid can find it. <laughs> exactly, and I'm hoping so because yeah. that did it for me. It really changed my life, and right. that's what got me into first Satanism, then got me into Diabolism, which is still the path I follow today. I do look at those two very different than one another, but, um, you know, it's, it sparked my path. And as you said, I bring a lot of different elements from a lot of different practices that resonate with me into a syncretic path that is very much my own. Um, and I think that's very important for people to do. And I love for, for your work that I do certainly see and feel the folklorish witchcraft coming through. And I love that you have the hoodoo element of the spirit vessels and spirit homes because it's something that you don't um, see a lot of. You see a lot of conjuration people talking about that and, and doing evocation and invocation, but you don't see people making their own effigies. You don't see people making their own um, rivets and their own fetish items a lot anymore. I mean, in some circles you do, but in the mass consensus you don't. It's almost like a part of the art that is overlooked in a lot of ways. And that's what actually originally caught me with you is when I came across your page a couple of years back, I started seeing you use these items and I was like, Oh, all right. And then I was keeping an eye for a while and I'm like, this dude gets it. And I, um, I, I really much res- you know, respect that you have, you know, kept that alive and, and not trying to get your name out there, as you said, but, but to shop, but by doing what you do, you were getting the eyes of people who want to learn that style of witchcraft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's always that. Well, it's interesting because, um, and, and I, I, for me, and I mean, again, just as a personal note, I, I have a lot of different streams of, of individual practice. I actually have a tendency to give them each their own space and place and time, even though within me, they all exist. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but within practice, oftentimes I don't, I don't like, I don't tend to, uh, mix what I would consider like, uh, hoodoo and or, or conjure really uh, with I mean it depends uh, with like my my traditional witchcraft but it it depends but lo- by and large I would say I tend to almost keep things in their own little places uh, for me it, it works a little bit better and the syncretism almost happens a little bit more within me if that makes sense as opposed to in the external practice I don't know um, that does that, actually make sense yeah. Um, and part of that for me is that I also feel like there are streams of, of lineage, streams of spirits, uh, and, and things that exist connected to all of these things that I like to keep to honor by keeping that within that those types of streams. Do you know what I mean? And not crossing the wires too, too much. Uh, but again, anyone else's mileage out there may vary. That just tends to be my approach towards these things. Um, but kind of back to what you were talking about, yeah, for me, very much the way that I've connected to my practice, it's largely about 
working with, connecting with, uh, contracting, pacting, uh, and, and working with spirits in many of these ways. And also that ties very much into to artistry and crafting and creation and making. And so for me, very much making talismanic objects, making fetish objects, making inspirited uh, objects and things of that nature uh, just very much made sense. And it felt like a pretty natural evolution of a lot of my practice. Uh, and so, uh, you know, th- it's something that, that I continue to do. And it also, every time that I, that I'm engaging with it, it just feels, uh, very much like a part of what I meant to, to kind of be what my work is, what I meant to be doing, you know, when you said it, cause I mean, internally you, you keep them separate, but internally, sometimes they will cross over, but that's when internally you have the instincts to know, what needs to blend together in two different areas, maybe you're not externally planning it. So you keep them individual and I'm kind of the same way. Like you can't see it right here, but there's a very large temple next to me. Um, and I have six different altars over there and each have their own purpose, their own style of magic. They don't necessarily connect. And I do keep them individual, but there's sometimes where I'm in the middle of a working with one type of magic. And for some reason I have to bring elements from another. There's just something telling me during that ritual that, you need to do this or that. And I, I usually won't argue. I will try that out right. because it's something higher than myself telling that. Um, so you do have that, that flow over, but you do keep it separate often, you know, and, and one thing you have that I wish, and I don't want to say I wish, but I, you know, I am, am envious of because I've never been good at is the artistic side. I mean, with you doing uh, your, your clay work and your effigies and the artwork, that's, that's awesome. I've never been artistic in that way. I was always great at music, Art-wise, clay sculpting. Um, I've always actually taken a fascination in effigies and making out of clay, but I've never been good at it. And I look at you starting again recently, and I'm like, oh, shit, okay. Uh, so you're making me want to up my game. If it's any consolation, I'm absolute trash at music. So, <laughs> and, and, and I've, I've always wished that I, I, I was skilled at playing some form of instrument. Uh, the closest I got to that is I you know, was in choir in high school. So I can sing, but that's about it. Um, so, you know, we, we all have our skills. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I, I feel like, and that's the thing with sculpting, you know, a lot of my sculpting is relatively simplistic, simplistic uh, maybe quote unquote prim, primitive forms or whatever. Um, but I, I really do enjoy sculpting. Yeah. And I'm really happy to kind of be getting back into it because I, you know, again, as we talked about, uh, when you open a business the first year, or I mean, opening the physical location of the business that, you know, Spiritus Arcanum has been around for uh, like a dec- over a decade at this point, but uh, the first year of the physical shop has been very busy. So I, a lot of my artistry, a lot of the things that I've really loved and that I feel like were kind of the heart of what uh, built Spiritus Arcanum a little bit had to be somewhat put aside so yeah. that other things could happen. And I feel like I'm finally uh, getting a chance to uh, get into some of those elements and the things that I really love. Uh, and, you know, sculpting is is really one of those places for me. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to be bringing forth some new some new things in the future, and uh, that is, you know, for me, my art is a part of my practice. You know, that is a part of of, of what really truly feeds me. And every time I'm I'm in the process of making and crafting, the line between what is magic and what is 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 art for me is uh, almost non-existent anymore. Uh, As it, it should you know. be, I think. I, I think that art is that direct expression of magic. I mean, it flows through you to create that. So I think there should be that dissolving line between the two, and they should be kind of come one. Um, and you can see that in your work. I mean, your your work is beautiful, and I think Thank that you. uh, you're doing a really good job. So uh, I'm happy to see that you're finding that time again because it is hard when you – 
run that business to find the time for all of, of you. And I, I right. ran a label at one point in time with about 45 different people on a music label. And my life became that. And I started to have to put away everything that I cared about for the most part to continue to grease and oil the machine. And even though the machine yeah. was doing great, there got to be that point, like I said, where like the ego kind of became bigger. My my true loves in life disappeared. And you're like, well, where's that time for me? And I, I would give all this up in a second. And then when I realized, well, then why don't you? Um, right. And you start you started getting that me time again, and it's a beautiful thing. You can't you can't replace art. You can't replace um, you know the creations that you make uh, in the ritual chamber or for a part of your practice. And I still do create tools and things, um, yeah. but just not as skilled as others. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I I don't know. I, I think as you know, it's, things are always in the eye of the, the beholder, and I think oftentimes we're our own self, we're, worst critics as well. You know. Um, <laughs> But, uh, oh, I kind of, I kind of, well, kind of to what your point was, though, I, I feel like, yes, there, there are certain levels to which it's like when you're working yourself to the point where you're just constantly working, uh, and, and you're like, wait, where, where are the moments that I'm giving to feed myself, right? Yeah. Uh, what is all, the, like, what is all this work for? Um, and so you need to be able to give yourself, I mean, and, and it is an interesting, line to tread uh when you are engaging as as uh, some type of a magical uh art or practice as a form of vocation right uh because again there's a lot of what people see publicly of, of what i present and what i put out there but there are also elements of like practice and craft that i don't talk about publicly because i don't need every not everything is for public consumption Agreed. um you know and and i also don't want uh, every aspect of my practice and every aspect of my magic to be tied to capital or to be tied to the grind yep. or, you know, what I mean, or to, to in some way feel like it's monetized or put up for social media consumption. Again, I don't think that that's great. I don't think that's healthy. Uh, and it's important to me to have aspects of the work I'm doing, the practice that I'm in, the spirits I'm working with that are for me, you know, and the same goes for art, the ceramic stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing cause I want to do it. And I've decided very much like actually really beautifully of you, you, you mentioned, you reached out and you said something about like, Oh, I might have to commission you for something. And I, I love that. And I, and I appreciate that people like my work that much, but I, I mean, we had a conversation about it where I was even like, um, yeah, with ceramics, I'm, I'm a, like very specifically trying not to take on, any more like commissions or anything because I want to keep it in this nice state where it's like, no man, I just want to make yours. like water. Yeah. What I want to make when I want to make it, not to, not to feel like I need to make it for the business, even though a lot of stuff will probably eventually end up uh, being sold. Uh, Cause I can only, I only need so many things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I want to be able to just get in there and like, and let things come through in the moment in a truly organic way because that truly feeds me. And I'm kind of tired of taking all of my craft and all of the things that I make and feeling like it becomes tied to something I have to do um, or vocation directly or capital directly uh, as opposed to keeping it something that's truly special to me um, and, and truly kind of feeds me, right? Uh, and then hopefully that will translate in the finished product to people, you know, and I mean, I hate that I just called it a product. Let's take that back. Hopefully that will translate in the finished artistry um, or, or really uh, in the, the in, in inspirited piece, you know, that, that finds its way into the world. Well, you're doing it truly to yourself. And I love that. And that's why when you said that back to me, when I did uh, made that comment and you had said back, you know, I kind of want to keep it for myself fully understood and respected yeah. back. Cause I'm yeah. like, you know what? Don't let me taint 
you getting back <laughs> into this beautiful thing because it is hard for you, for anybody, I would imagine, to put as much soul and energy into a piece that's for someone else than it is for one that's for yourself because you're fully opening those channels to channel that energy through. And that's one reason I've had so many people over the years say, you know, Crow, would you take on um, ritual for hire? And it's not that I haven't done ritual for other people, but the problem for me is I only get so much time to do my craft as it is. And to open those doors up to the public, to be me doing my magic for you all the time and and him and her and, and all these other people it, it takes away from that sacred space. It takes away from that thing I love so much. And the other thing is, I, even though I could get results for you, I look at it like I don't really want to be that guy where every weekend I'm I'm trying to make magic happen for you because even though I might care about what I'm doing for you, I can't put as much true will behind that as I can my own workings. If you hate yeah. your neighbor and want me to curse your neighbor, I can certainly do it, but... Unless I truly have that inner rage, it's not going to hit as hard as someone who's certainly done me wrong and I want to do that type of work. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I've had people on the show or even friends that their their main business is strictly ritual for hire and they, they do, yeah. you know, 50, 60 some people a month. And I'm like, fuck that. I can't imagine yeah. your sanity level at the end of each month. Um, so I, mean, I completely respect it. Props to them. It's not for me. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, not props at all. To them, it's, it's not for me. And, and that is one of those things too, especially if someone wants to commission me for like a fetish object or inspirited object or talismanic object and things like that. That is, this is why, and it's not just me. And, and I, I'm, I, I totally, there are a lot of occult artists out there who, when they take on commissions, take a stupid long amount of time for you to ever get what you're going to get. Yeah. And I understand people's frustration in those types of things. Cause I've, I, but I, I know exactly the other side of it and what happens. And part of it is like, yeah, sometimes I'm really excited about the idea initially, but then like life gets busy. And at the same time, I, if I'm going to create, if I'm going to do this work for you, cause essentially if we're talking about an inspirited object where we're talking about me essentially reaching across to the other world, finding the thing that I'm going to pact with, bringing it across, and then also making it match up with your litany of desires or whatever. Yep. It's much easier sometimes if someone's like, I would like for you to craft a spirit house, and this is kind of what I'd like for it to look like and the material that I'd like for it, and they aren't asking me to ensole this object, right? Uh, but either way, I generally, I don't want to do a disservice to what this is, to 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 this the, the sacredness of this vessel um, or, or whatever, you know, however we're viewing this. I need, so I need to be in the right mindset, you know, I need to be in the right mindset and, and to allow it to come through in the proper way. And sometimes that's hard to do. And I would rather not half-ass it for someone. And sometimes that takes a while for me to like get jazzed about it and equally have the energy to do the thing and also feel like what needs to come through is coming through. Uh, it's hard to, to find the time and space to make that fully align uh, when it's for someone outside of yourself. And I respect that. So there's two different ways that you can look at that. I mean, are two different versions that you get. When you have someone, you commission someone for a piece and they take a long time. If it's yeah. because they want to take the proper time, as you said, to to do it the way that it needs to be done, to fully ensoul the thing to the right proper level, I'm completely fine with that because I've had artists I've commissioned before uh, for different pieces, and it's taken six, seven months, and they, they would apologize. I'm sorry, it's taken long. I'm like, no, take as long as you want until – 
Work on it on the days that you feel right to work on it. Don't be working on it on a night that you feel like shit or you're sick just because right. you want to get it done. I would rather right. you take two weeks off and then pick it back up again when you're feeling strong because it's something I'm going to use in Ritual and I want it to resonate. Um, right. But then you have the other side of that. You have other people who will take on 15 projects at once. And the reason that they're not getting it for you for months is because they have so many damn projects and they can't focus fully on any one of those 15 projects. They just inundate themselves with work. So it, it, there's that fine line. But if you work with the right artists, you know, uh, Arsnosis, who's one of our sponsors, we'll be jumping into here shortly. Uh, phenomenal artist, does great work. He's from Brazil. Uh, he's part of a Kimbanda uh, cult, and they do beautiful work on the pieces that they've done for me. And okay. I tell him, take your time, brother. Like, and he'll always say to me, it's going to take three or four months to get this piece to you. I'm like, that's fine. I, I didn't expect any different. Take your time. And he has made me beautiful pieces in my altar. Um, and you can feel the resonance with it when you get it. And I would rather that. I mean, I don't need it today or tomorrow. If I needed it today or tomorrow, I'd make it myself. If I'm commissioning you, I'm expecting there to be a little bit of time frame behind it. But I, I can certainly see also artists not wanting to dip into that, as you said. It, it just makes sense. Well, I mean, it, as someone who actually exists in both of those realms where I'm constantly overcommitting, <laughs> but also really wanting to do it right. Uh, yeah, it's always a struggle. And I found that I, I, it, it then kind of hangs over me and I don't want to I don't want to keep people hanging. So that's why I've really stopped doing a lot of like cu custom work, commission work, mm -hmm. not really doing that anymore. What I'd rather do is like here, you know, here's something I'm really excited about. Here's work that I really want to put out into the world. So I made like eight of these things or 10 of these things. And now they're available. And once they're gone, they might not ever get made again like but it's something that my heart and soul was really in and hopefully it resonates to people out there that is the kind of the approach that i'm much more excited about uh these days because i just for me personally it, it works a little bit better no i love that man like i said if you haven't seen his pieces out there folks please go to his sites check them out he does beautiful work you're gonna love it everything about the site for spiritual spirit arc I can't talk. Spiritus Arcanum, thank you, uh, you know, is is beautiful. There's some very resonant work. And even on his personal page, Matthew Venus, um, you know, he has sculptures and things on there that are awesome. Um, now, with the shop, I mean, you do a little bit of both, uh, I would imagine. So, and, and I actually kind of know you do, um, that you, you have your own self-made, like, incenses and things. But you do also sell yeah. other local vendors and things as well. Um, so yeah. it's a little bit of a mixture of both. Is that correct? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, largely uh, what I was doing previously was that we, um, um, before I got the physical space, it was mostly like incenses, oils, uh, and, and, you know, magical apothecary items that I made myself. Uh, and that's really how the business largely got started was that I have always made uh, incenses and oils from natural botanicals and um, always had extra. You know, whenever you, you make a, a batch of that stuff, you almost always have surplus. Oh, yeah. And so it would start with me gifting it to people and then eventually selling on small scale at things. And that's really kind of how the business grew. Um, and so we have entire lines of, of incenses and oils that are all handcrafted uh, in-house uh, from all natural botanicals, essential oils, et cetera, that are all uh, prayed over, empowered, uh, consecrated. And so, yeah, we've got a lot of that. Uh, and then, yeah, once once I moved into an entire physical space that I needed to fill, uh, yeah, we so we have books, we have some ritual tools, we have candles, we have all sorts of, we do have jewelry and some ritual tools uh, that are made from local folks. Uh, we're still getting more and more stuff added onto the website. There's still a lot that we have in our shop that's not physically in the website. We sell herbs, you know, um, a lot. I, I sell a lot of things that I feel like 
as a practitioner, I would want to sell all sorts of roots, bones, curios, seeds, uh, things that hopefully folks uh, who are out there doing work would be looking for. Um, And so like right now in the shop and also online, there's not a lot of my like fetish objects work or talismanic work or even like the jewelry pieces and things that I've done in the past. Okay. Uh, and because I've, again, cause I've been so busy that I haven't been able to do that. So that's what I'm actually, a lot of stuff that I'm working on right now uh, is building that up. So I'm hoping to do in a month or so, like a release of, of some of that work again. Uh, and I think that's probably how it's going to work a lot going forward is these stints of kind of focused work and then doing kind of a release of collections or, or workings that I've been kind of engaging with. Uh, I, I kind of like that model a little bit more as opposed to, you know, having the crow fetishes that I used to make up there for anyone to order, but then it's like on-demand ordering, and then it, we run into the same type of situation. Yeah. Uh, where I'd much rather, I'm really excited about this thing. This is the work I'm doing. Uh, when it's done, it's going to be put out into the world. You know, that's, I like that. that's the realm I want to be in. Yeah, yeah. You, you work on it, you get them out, you sell them, and then it's on to the next thing. You don't do it yeah. on demand. It's, this is these are the specialty items we have right now. And if you're lucky enough to be one of the few that gets it, then you have a very powerful and unique piece. And if you missed out, then just right. like most things in life, you missed out and shit out of luck. Um, so I always, I always encourage people to, to get on the mailing list or at least follow on like Instagram because usually I'll try and post things up there about like things that are forthcoming. Um, but yeah. Now, I know that you, you had kind of said starting out, you know, when I first found you, you were selling online obviously a lot. You were also going to a lot of different uh, markets and, uh, um, you know, festivals and things like that and, and selling in booths in, in that style. You know, I, you still have a lot of that going on. In fact, I think you're doing um, a Midsummer Night's Market this weekend, I think. You're going, yes. but not as, not as I yeah. think this is the one there you are not actually vending at. Is that correct? No, I'll be vending there. Uh, but the interesting thing, it's in the building that I, so it's in PVD, Massachusetts. So anyone that's in like uh, New England area or Massachusetts area. So it's in, in Peabody, Massachusetts, in the building where my shop is. So I, oh, awesome. where my shop is, it's actually, it's an old leather mill. So it's an old mill building that is definitely haunted <laughs> as hell. Uh, and I, I've gotten to know some of the spirits around here, but um but uh, it's an old brick mill building, and there are all sorts of businesses here. Um, there are a lot of antique stores. Uh, and so I am doing a market on the same floor as mine. There's a whole space that I've been busting my ass all week, basically, okay. <laughs> to get together. I, most of my day was kind of getting that space together and trying to make it look nice and prepping things for this market because we're going to have 30 different vendors that are going to have uh, magical wares, uh, you know, dark arts, uh, oddities, etc. cetera. Uh, and so I'm really excited for that. So I'll have a table over there, but I'm, I also, my shop is literally like right across the hall from where it's going on, but we'll probably have something set up over there. Uh, and I'm really excited to be doing it here because I want more people to know about this building. Uh, but also it's an extension of the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival. Uh, that So I'm doing this in conjunction with uh, my partner in that, Jackie Aloisi, uh, which is a, a, a online festival. Well, we've, it's, we've done it in person and online, uh, but it's an online festival this year that happens every August where we feature 30 plus uh, presenters 
from all over the world at this point that uh, speak on a wide variety of magical topics. Yeah, I actually have a little post here for people. I'll read uh, to you folks out there that the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival is a weekend-long event held in historic Salem, Massachusetts during August. The festival is intended to create sacred space for the exploration, celebration, and acceptance of magical and occult education, folklore, community, and activism throughout the city. All spiritual traditions and levels of experience are welcome to participate. This weekend of magical ritual workshops and social gatherings held throughout the city of Salem will cultivate or culminate, excuse me, in a community ritual. The Black Cat Cabaret uh, costume party in the Mercato della Stratega, which is market. And that yeah. is going to be I have it here. August 3rd through August 6th. Is that correct? Yes. So it's, well, so I should, uh, what you're reading, which I, I, I'll have to find where that's from. Cause it's not, <laughs> cause it's not accurate. That's from like our earlier conception of it okay. where it was happening. in person. So for the past couple of years, it's been an online event. Uh, so it's, it's still happening August 3rd through 6th and it's online. Um, and so the nice thing about that is that we have presenters from all over the world and we have attendees from all over the world. Um, so we have some folks from Wales, we have folks from Canada, we have folks from uh, New Zealand uh, that are presenting. Uh, and uh, so that allows for that, which is awesome. The other thing that's nice about doing it online is that for when people sign up for the classes, they can attend the live stream, but they also get access to the recording until the end of 2023. Oh, so nice. like I said, the conference itself is 30 plus classes and a lot of times we'll have three classes going at the same time um and so that way you don't necessarily have to miss anything or if you sign up for the full package you get access to all those classes uh and we have presenters like uh charles porterfield brandon weston um uh kobe michael uh jesse hathaway diaz al cummins uh sasha ravich uh katarina payovich uh just so many amazing voices that are incredibly passionate incredibly uh learned in their craft uh and many many people who for whom magic is a vocation uh and i feel like a lot of people and a lot of voices and a lot of topics that you don't tend to see um necessarily at your average uh occult or neo-pagan conference so i'm i'm really I'm really proud and humbled uh, by this collection of individuals uh, that, that we're able to get together every year and the, and the, the festival itself. But yes, yeah, so it is online uh, and it allows people to really kind of watch those classes or catch up on classes or rewatch those classes at their leisure. And you can sign up for individual classes or day passes or the full event. Um, so if you're curious about that and you want to see the lineup and um, – kind of get more information about it, the individual classes and such, it's SalemWitchFest.com. Also, if you were curious about the market that we were talking about that's happening this weekend on the 17th, uh, it's this Midsummer Night's Market, and that there is a, a, a link to that on SalemWitchFest.com with information about the market. Uh, it's 5 to 9 this coming Saturday. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's all it's all stuff I'm super excited about. I, I do – I like I – like, creating spaces for, for people to come together, particularly magical people to make connections, uh, to share uh, knowledge with each other uh, and, and to hopefully build a community, whether this is, you know, spaces online uh, or spaces in person. And um, next year, the plan is that Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival will return to being an in-person event. And then we might do more online events in the future. 
No, that's awesome. And I apologize out there, folks, that I oh. was reading the uh, disc- – well, so it was funny because you said it's online, and then I'm like, I have a description, but like, I'm swore the description said in person. I'm like, I don't know. I'm reading, I'm reading it anyway. Um, so there was a little bit of a change there, folks, but it does look very powerful. And, and obviously, kudos to you for doing that. It is very important what you're doing and bringing that many great speakers and teachers together for an online class, letting them have it till the end of the year because not only is there several things that they might miss that they do want to listen and learn from, but some of that is just very heavy that you have to learn or listen time and time again. And, I mean, you named a phenomenal lineup of speakers there. And one that you mentioned that I'm going to shamelessly segue into real quick is uh, Dr. Alexander Cummins. And he will be on our show later this season. Oh, really? That's one of Al is a dear friend. friend He's a phenomenal occultist. And, uh, you know, he has a lot of classes himself, obviously, on his site that you can take. A lot of geomancy classes, necromantic classes, um, you know, he has a really in-depth uh, Solomonic practice of the Four Kings um, and using the Goetia specifically with the Four Kings, which a lot of people talk about the Goetia today, and they don't bring up that aspect of it. Um, so, no, phenomenal teacher. We look uh, forward to having him on later in the season, but uh, that should that should be great. And I think aside from the festival— Actually, um, actually, uh, I mean, mentioning his name, uh, we'll conjure him up for a moment. Um, Dr. Al Cummins will actually be doing readings at the market that I'm doing this weekend is going to be awesome and doing readings for folks. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Now, if you, if you have a chance, yeah. folks, and you're in the area, stop by, get a reading from him. Very, very yeah. intelligent man. Obviously, you'll get to meet Matthew as well. Um, mm-hmm. And these two guys are great. And you're going to learn a lot. Uh, you know, we're excited to have him on later in the season. And I think, if I'm thinking correct, Matt, that you have on your uh, on your shop's website – there are different teachings that people can take in general where they can buy on. I think Al is actually on one of those. Yes. Um, yeah. And you have some classes that you give as well on there. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, I have three uh, ongoing courses that I do that are like 13-part courses. So one is Foundations of Witchcraft, which focus on focuses upon witchcraft and an approach towards witchcraft, which is animist uh, and folkloric craft. Uh, and so a little bit different than a lot of modern witchcraft and, and kind of uh, – you know, uh, Wiccan kind of approach is a little bit different of a take and tends to be reflective of my own practice. Uh, then I also have Foundations of Herbcraft, which is about magical herbalism. Uh, so learning about various aspects of magical herbalism as well as making uh, magical formulary and preparations. So things like incenses, oils, uh, perfumes, washes, all of that. Um, and then lastly, Foundations of Folk Magic, uh, which we just recently started. And that is uh, exploring basically uh, common common threads uh, uh, through what we might call folk magic, right? Um, And exploring largely from the lens of North American folk magical traditions, uh, as well as uh, like uh, folk magical traditions of the British Isles, because both myself and my co-teacher, Devin McElderry, that's largely where a lot of our practice comes from and from ancestral practices, also Appalachian practices for him uh, and and, and Hoodoo and Contra for myself. So informed from that perspective, but largely intended to... Uh, guide the, the the student essentially through recognizing commonalities of what we might call folk magic uh, and, and what what those things are, how those things function, and ideally make those making those things reflective of one's own ancestral practices as well as relevant to their own space and place and time, the land that they're on, the time that they're living in. Because uh, I don't folk magic is alive. It needs to be relevant to your space and place and time. Uh, it shouldn't be anachronistic. 
Uh, it doesn't, I mean, we, we can certainly look to the past and we should look to the past and, and apply that same technology and mindset and pragmatism to what we're doing now. Uh, but folk magic needs to be uh, very much reflective of our everyday life. That's what it always has been. If you're doing it in an anachronistic, ye olde kind of way, I feel like you're doing it disservice to what the way that folk magic actually uh, exists in the world and has existed in the world and is reflective of the folk, the culture, the time, uh, as well as our own ancestry and the land that we live on. So that's largely kind of the focus of that particular course. And then there's a lot of one-off classes. Like I have one on like um, creating magical oil lamps. I have one on uh, sigils. I do. I think I still have one up there on crafting of dolls and effigies. Uh, so basically, uh, you know, uh, spirit objects in the form of dolls. Uh, and some other one-off classes as well. And then what you were talking about, we did a series called Voices of Folk Magic where I had a multitude of different amazing individuals who, for whom, like, you know, magical practice is a large part of their vocation, speaking about their own different folk magical traditions, ancestral traditions, and things like that, uh, and kind of really trying to highlight a diversity of, of practices that all would be approached and looked at as folk magic, um, and one of the things that I love about that series is we see all of the kind of variations of that, but also all of the commonalities, you know, the use of charms, the use of prayer, the use of, of, of pragmatic things, um, uh, things being reflective of the land and reflective of the seasons. And that we see this continuing line through a lot of what becomes blanket referred to as folk magic. And I think that's an important part of the exploration of those things. Well, and it is because you said it. You said that, you know, it, it, we take those root elements and take those those pieces that have to continue on in the practice. But you have to make them very much your own in this modern time. And you do see the commonality amongst many different people practicing similar practice, yet also very much their own. And it is right. awesome to see that because we always carry those same seeds of truth and power in our practice, but we have to, there's other parts that are the gray areas that we can shape to us. And right. some people are afraid to do that. I mean, you know, and I, I make fun of them sometimes in a joking manner, but it's nothing, you know, as far as trying to be rude, it's more, you know, poking fun, but you have the, the purists and there's nothing yeah. wrong with being a purist, but the problem with the purists is they're, they're so afraid to try anything new that they could be lacking. I mean, when we look at grimoire magic and we look at ceremonial magic from old times, they practiced that way then for a specific reason. And people now say, well, that's the way it has to be practiced. There's no other way except this box. Well, it was only well, other, that exact box because that's what they had at that time. The other question about that, too, is that anyone who's actually studied grimoire manuscripts can see that from one to another, oftentimes there are differences Absolutely. that reflect the difference, the differences between one practitioner or another are, or the transmission and change and evolution of grimoires. Magic changes and evolves over time uh, as it changes hands from individuals and as it shifts throughout time. Uh, so it's funny how anyone would look at the grimoires and claim to be a purist uh, <laughs> to some extent because which grimoire then? <laughs> Do yes. you know what I mean? Which specific grimoire are we speaking of that you're a purist of? There's also a big difference between being able to... Um, really accurately and deliciously replicate a recipe from a recipe book. So let's equate this to cooking, right? Um, to really accurately and, and, and wonderfully replicate a recipe from a recipe book, right? Sure, you could. that might make you a cook, right? Um, you might be able to, to know how to cook and replicate a recipe. You also might 
try doing a recipe from a book that actually was poorly written or maybe not written very clearly or maybe just isn't a really good recipe and you replicate it and it comes out to be garbage. But you know what? You followed the rules. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on the garbage you made Um, because maybe that was tasty to someone else, but it's definitely not to you. Now, what happens if you make that recipe and you realize that it was not necessarily completely garbage, but certain elements of it were garbage. They didn't suit your palate and they didn't actually give you the nourishing Uh, feeling or maybe they caused indigestion or whatever so you're going to alter that a little bit to be more reflective of your palate and your need and your dietary restrictions are you are you being an eclectic fuck shit pardon my language but are you is that what you're doing or are you actually making something that's reflective of your needs and making it be more effective in the work of it right Um, and then additionally there are those who learn the art and the science of 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 cooking, of, of culinary creations, uh, of flavor, of you know acid and fat and salt and all of these things, and then can maybe take a traditional idea and expand upon it, or or, or give it a twist, or all these things in ways that are interesting, meaningful, and effective for them, and reflective of the time that they're in, perhaps. Um, and, and that is someone that we would probably call a chef, right? Yeah. Or who knows enough about cooking that can absolutely create an entirely new experience that's very effective and delights and titillates the, the senses. Someone created the grimoires, right? Mm-hmm. Was it, again, we talked earlier about, about placing individuals on pedestals and looking for the man with the answers. I guess that man was the dusty old man who wrote whatever grimoire you're a purist of. We should learn the tools. We should learn the techniques. We should, we should honor those things. We should, we should try them. We should get you, we should get experience with them. But it, ideally, eventually, you know, uh, you, you're also an innovator in a way at least that is meaningful to you. You're not just innovating for the sake of innovation. Hopefully you're not just innovating out of laziness. But one's magical practice is an, enti- an incredibly personal thing, I feel. Absolutely. Uh, it should be 100%. something that is reflective of that. And if all you're doing is recreating Betty Crocker's recipes over and over and over again, do you have a cook? Are, are you a chef? Are you an actual cook? Are you just really good at following instructions, regardless of whether or not it's actually tasty in the end Agreed. and satisfying in the end? Um, and I think that, that this is something that that people should consider. Um, I, I think we absolutely need to respect tradition. We need to absolutely experience and engage with and, and explore and experiment with tech, the magical technology before just saying, that sounds too complicated. I'm Fuck that. I'm not doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Try it. Maybe it'll be amazing. Maybe it won't, right? Um, but maybe try it first before you decide that it's bullshit. Um, and, and then also you can alter the tech in a way that is, again, more reflective of, of your needs and the time uh, that, to make it something that, that ideally works better for you. Well, I think that's very important because you get both sides. I run across it all the time in classes I've taught and lectures I've done where you get two different sides. of Well, you get three, but you get two different sides of people. You have, you have the people that say, you know what? I am a diabolist or I'm a Satanist and I don't do anything Solomonic and I don't use the circles or the triangle man. And they say all this radical shit that doesn't make sense to me necessarily if you're doing ceremonial magic, but uh, I don't do any of that. I do it this way. Well, that's okay, I guess. But like you said, there's a reason to respect the way that they did it. But you have the other people that are the purest or say that they're the purest. I don't break beyond that. Well, then you're also limiting yourself. But as you said, when you bring those two together and say, I know why they did it that way. I know what that can do as far as conjuration of spirit and how powerful it can be. But then I adapted and changed certain elements to make it very much my own. I can tell you I've done Solomonic magic as Solomonic magic requires or has you know, originally been done. It's very potent, very powerful. I have yeah. also 
done operations without those constructs and seen what that can do. And then I've been able to blend the two and make it something very much my own, which I have found to be more powerful than either of the other two individually. Um, but I still very much mix Solomonic and Grimoire style, uh, you know, styles of evocation and ceremonial magic in my practice. And it always blows my mind when a lot of people don't use those structures at all, but stay within the framework of ceremonial magic. You know, I don't use a circle. I don't use a triangle. I'm like, well, if you're not using a triangle or a circle, then I would question how potent of an experience you're getting during conjuration because, you know, the triangle of the art is going to be your wheelhouse of really centering that object. Now, other practices don't need that. There's a lot of other practices that don't use circles or triangles at all. But it, sure. it depends on the frame of reference that you're, you're within. So it's like if you're a ceremonial magi- magician and you don't use any of those constructs, you're not really a ceremonial magician. You're some other type of practitioner. So it is interesting to see that. I think we should respect history. We should, as you said, test it out and try it, see why it was done that way, and sure. then yeah. take what resonates and discard the rest as anything else. I understand the rules and, and have tried have tried the way people say it's supposed to be done before you decide to fully break the rules and, and discard it. I think I think that's worth doing or worth mentioning at least, right? You know, um, but also don't be afraid to to do things in a way that that makes more sense uh, and at least try things. Again, uh, you know, to to quote, uh, you know, JSK. Uh, the whole like burning of the fingers and magic, you know, yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, that we, we need to, we need to, there, there is always the chance that we might burn our, our fingers just as in cooking is in magic, right? Yep. That if you're going to be innovative and, and try to, to really let your experience of the thing uh, inform it, uh, you have to also be willing to occasionally burn oneself. And I've been burnt certainly myself, and I think anybody truly practices has been, um, and you have to be, because how are you an innovative person? As you said, if you're only following the recipe, you're never going to really make you know, those heavy strides past what's already been done. So if you're trying to break beyond the bounds of what's been done, you're not going to do that if you're following the same recipe. You have to add your own ingredients and see how you make it a little bit different. Um, we have a couple comments came in here. I do want to shout out to Kelvin. Kelvin, thank you so much, brother, uh, for being just a wonderful listener over the years. You're always tuning in. I really appreciate it. I know you jumped in and was leaving comments on Spreaker, which I don't really look at during this new dashboard setup because I have like 18 different programs going. I I did see that a little bit ago and was going to give you a shout out, but you must have jumped over here on, uh, you know, Facebook or on, it looks like, yeah, Facebook. Uh, so thank you. I appreciate that. We have some comments coming in from David. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about, David. He says, can I speak, brother? Well, if you can, you can. I don't know. I can't hear you if you do speak, David. Um, but you can try. And you said, let's see your work then. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I don't know if he's talking about your work, Matthew, but if if, he, if you are, David, yeah. uh, go to Spiritus Arcanum and you can see his work and his shop on there and view what it is that he does, if that's what you're asking. Um, as far as speaking, I don't have a way of throwing you on here, um, so I'm just not sure what you were asking. But uh, thank you for tuning in, obviously. Now, I'm going to go to a real quick commercial break. We'll come back, have Matthew say anything else we should expect coming up, and we'll wrap up for this evening. We want to give a chance to shout out our last couple sponsors. So uh, we will be back right after this. Well, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. There we go. Give us one second. Knights of the Nephilim podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Arsnosis. 
Arsnosis was formed by Diogo Cels Pimentel, an artist located in northeast of Brazil in the state of Bahia, which is the birthplace of the greatest artist in the country. Involved with occultism since 2009, starting in shamanic practices until reaching Western occultism through the paths of Luciferianism, Thelema, Goetic ceremonial magic, angelic and Anakian magic. Since 2017, he has added his art of drawing and painting to magical artifacts, putting the energy of his practice and personal research into the artistic and magical works that he creates. With the auspices of the great King Paimon that governs over all arts and sciences, you can find his work by searching Arsnosis on Facebook and Instagram. It is theurgical work channeled into magical tools made by an adept for adepts. Over time, his work has become known throughout the globe for the care and energy of the will applied to each and every piece that he creates. And with the motto that was propagated in greater proportion by Aleister Crowley, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, he applies the energy of the will of the initiatory path into each and every work. Once again, you can check him out by searching Arsnosis on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, Diogo. Knights of the Nephilim podcast would like to thank our sponsor, the Telemancer. Let me first tell you a little bit about their owner, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about them. James Hunter Ralston has been a member of the Order of the Voltec, starting in 2008 and progressing through several degrees, last serving as head of the Outer Order. The Order of the Voltec is an offshoot of a pylon of the Temple of Set, originated to study and practice several forms of the sorcerous methods centering on techniques used by Mexican and other Central American priests and magicians. Many of the techniques involved were popularized in the late 1970s and 80s by Carlos Castaneda. Over the decades since his first experience with magic, his desire has grown into the creation and use of what other shamanic sorcerers term as power objects, talismans, amulets, totems, and other powerful objects. His interests expanded to the degree that he chose to become an apprentice of several Appalachia's premier craftspeople and learn the art of metalcraft to produce power objects for both himself and select patrons. He does work with gold, pewter, silver, and sometimes other metals as well. He has been doing this for over eight years. He does create talismans, pendants, rings, altarpieces, and more, almost all exclusively by custom commission. And you can check out his stunning work, at facebook.com backslash thetelemancer1. Again, that is facebook.com backslash thetelemancer1. All as one word. Thank you so much. Knights of the Nephilim podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Limitless Liberation. I'll read you about this wonderful company from their owner, Elena. Limitless Liberation was inspired by both Lucifer and Belial. Lucifer has been with me most of my life, as far back as I could remember. Belial and I started to work when I was going through a very difficult part of my life. He completely turned mine and my family's life around, for the better, in a very short period of time. In return, he asked me to create what he called Charger for him. He showed me the designs, so I created the first Charger for Belial, and Lucifer wanted one next. From there, I had spirits lining up with requests for magical items. Some are control freaks, while others just inspire. 
They are all so individually different, but every single item created has power within it. Each item operates on many levels. They operate as an anchor for the spirit you're working with, thus aiding easier connection between the two of you. They also operate like a power cell or battery, where they already come with an inherent energy to them, but they become stronger as you feed them and pull from them during ritual, as well as to strengthen your workings. Limitless liberation continues to grow to honor the spirits that we love to work and build relationships with. You can check her shop out at etsy.com backslash shop backslash limitless liberation. Again, that is etsy.com backslash shop backslash limitless liberation. All right, we are back, guys. Just want to give a quick shout out to the Telemancer, Limitless Liberation, and Ars Gnosis. Uh, we didn't have any commercial there for uh, Limitless Liberation because she actually recently took down her Etsy for a little while, said so she's taking a break before she comes back. She's made so many pieces, and I think. You know, once again, we all need to have a little bit of a sanity check from time to time, get that inspiration back, and I think that's probably what she's doing. Wonderful material that she does. Um, you know, we have been here almost two hours. I didn't realize how long we were going with Matthew. <laughs> I told him we were going to be an hour and a half, and you know, I looked at the clock. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, so we were planning on finishing it up here anyways, and we will do so. But before we do, Matthew, tell us anywhere else uh, or where else we can check you out at, anything else that you got coming up, and uh, lastly, what advice you would give to anybody right now with just what we talked about earlier this this world of ai and this world of so many books and things that's wanting to get into the occult but they have no idea where to start if you could go over those things with us and then we'll wrap up wow um (laughs) yeah no problem uh so as far as uh where you can find me really spiritistarcanum.com uh also salem witchcraft or salemwitchfest.com uh for the upcoming festival those are kind of the main things that i have uh, going right now is is those things. Um, this is, I mean, I, I, uh, those are good places to kind of see what's going on with me. Uh, on Instagram, just uh, spiritus underscore arcanum. Uh, you can follow me on there. Uh, beware of scammers. Uh, I have a verified account now because there's way too many of them. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, uh, you can find me in all of those places to keep up with what's going on and what's upcoming. Uh, advice for folks. Really... Um, you know, it's it's difficult a terrain, I think, and it's, I feel like it's been so long since I was getting into all of this that it, I, I can only imagine what it's like for folks. I think uh, really the best advice is to uh, think, <laughs> try to think for yourself. Uh, and also, I mean, I'm going to quote uh, Donald Michael Craig. Uh, from years ago, I went to a thing of his, and he started the conference by writing on a board, think for yourself, question authority. Um, and I think that that's always good advice. Uh, ask questions. Uh, if you think everything that I've talked about tonight is bullshit, good for you. You don't have to agree with me on anything, or anyone for that matter. Uh, think for yourself. Ask, ask questions. Question authority. And also, um, ideally, surround yourself with authority that doesn't mind uh, you asking them questions. Uh, surround yourself with individuals that inspire you. Uh, it can hopefully point you in the direction of other things that inspire them. Uh, this is what I think is, is valuable. Uh, surrounding yourself with individuals that are doing work that you think is cool, that inspire you. Uh, and, uh, and with the people that, that again, uh, you can, uh, you can, um, find the beauty in the work that they're doing so that hopefully it stokes that inner fire within yourself to put your own work into this world, uh, and do the important work that you're meant to do. Uh, ideally being surrounded by also individuals who then you in turn inspire. And I think that that's, that's, for me, one of the ultimate goals. 
No, that's great advice, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, Folks, if you're listening out there, hopefully you can take some resonance from that. And I ask that if you like the episode this evening, make sure that you go like his page and check out his website. Once again, he runs Spiritus Arcanum. Um, You can, you know, go to the website at spiritusarcanum.com. You can go to the Facebook page, check out what he does, pick up some items, take some classes. If you're local, stop at the festivals he's a part of. Support this man and what he's doing as he does great work, and he is helping the, the community of which craft and you know everything that is that we love so please support him in return also if you like the show feel free to share the show around uh, we always appreciate that give a like share follow and subscribe tell your friends and family about it continue to build those numbers up so that it gets to the right people if you have any suggestions of what you would like to see us do that we're not doing what you want to see us do differently anybody you'd like to see us have on next season as we already have a hell of a lineup for season four anything you know of the following you can message me on my personal Facebook at Freighter Crow, at the Celestial Oddities Radio or Knights of the Nephilim Radio Facebook, Darkness and Divination Instagram, or email me at celestialoddities at gmail.com. Again, that is celestialoddities at gmail.com. Do want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in this evening, for leaving your comments, and for all of your love and support. And obviously, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on this evening. Let us find out a little bit more about you, pick you know your brain a little bit, and just have a really good and fun uh, you know conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. All right, guys. Well, we will see you. Let me take a look real quick. Our next one uh, is one that I'm pretty excited. I'm always excited. I say that every time. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm excited about all my guests because I love all these guys, and I love bringing them on, and I follow their work or else I wouldn't have them on. But uh, in two weeks, uh, we have a episode with someone who I've followed for a very long time. I've read probably eight or nine of his books, and that is Lon Milo Duquette. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation that we're having. And I'm trying to pull up my calendar right now. That is on the 29th. So from 8.30 to 10 or whatever time we end, because, you know, that doesn't always work out. Um, we will have Lon Milo Duquette coming on. And we'll be talking about his new book, An Accidental Christ, which he gives a very unique story of the, the telling of Jesus and how it could be very, very different than we're told. And it's hilarious. It's fun and powerful, as he does with his work often. And we'll be talking about a lot about other great topics and ideas as well and that's on the 29th next week we are supposed to be kicking off season four of paranormal guys unfortunately my business partner has an out-of-town meeting he had to go to so instead i'll be with alistair knocked on his channel um, of the magnum opus satanic coven and he will be interviewing me for his radio show um, which will be on his patreon i believe so um, check that out whenever that goes up and support him and what he's doing and catch us here on knights of the nephilim on the 29th with lawn milo duquette other than that Thank you guys so much. And Matthew, once again, thank you, brother. Thank you. Take care, everyone. We'll catch you next time on Knights of the Nephilim. All right, brother, that is officially a wrap. Oh, cool. All right, nice. I was actually just messaging. I was like, do 